Trump is nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. The Oscars announced that the Best Picture nominees must now comply with woke guidelines and major city police leaders begin to quit. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Surf the web with peace of mind. Sign up now at expressvpn.com slash Ben. We'll get to all of the breaking news, and there's a lot of it in just one moment. First, let's talk about that cell phone bill. So you've been racking up big charges on your cell phone bill, have you not? And you haven't been using all that data. You've been paying for unlimited data. In the weird opinion, you will be using unlimited data. You're not, in fact, using unlimited data. You're using very limited data, and you're paying way too much. And this is why you need to use Pure Talk instead of like AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile. They all want to charge you for data and perks that you're never going to use. Pure Talk will give you the exact same coverage, the same towers, the same bars, but they cost you half with no contract and no excessive fees. You can save a ton of money on Pure Talk USA. I mean, we're talking like hundreds of dollars a year. Right now, enjoy unlimited talk, text, two gigs of data, all for just 20 bucks a month. The average person is saving 400 bucks a year on their wireless bill. So here's how you do it. Grab your mobile phone, dial pound 250, say Ben Shapiro. When you do, you save 250 bucks off any iPhone, including the new iPhone SE. Again, that is pound 250, say keyword Ben Shapiro. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. Go check them out right now. No reason for you to spend too much on that cell phone bill. Just get it simplified at Pure Talk. Pure Talk USA, same coverage as any other company, and you're doing it for way less money. Pure Talk USA, save 250 bucks off any iPhone when you dial pound 250 and say keyword Ben Shapiro to get started with Pure Talk USA. Okay, so the world is aflame, and it's aflame. Because, wait for it, wait for it, Donald Trump has now been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize, which is hilarious. <laughs> so the, the reason it's hilarious is because everybody's going to react with, with just utter amazement, astonishment, shock. People are going to be appalled. You're going to see CNN today melt down. How could Trump, this giant orange buffoon, be nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize? Well, a Norwegian parliamentarian has now nominated Trump for the Nobel Peace Prize. It was submitted by Christian Tybring Jedi, a member of the Norwegian parliament who lauded Trump for his efforts toward resolving protracted conflicts worldwide. He's a four-term member of parliament. He serves as chairman of the Norwegian delegation to the NATO Parliamentary Assembly. Now, remember, Trump was widely perceived as anti-NATO. He did not pull out of NATO. Tybring Jedi said, for his merit, I think he has done more to try to create peace between nations than most other Peace Prize nominees. He said the Trump administration has played a key role in the establishment of relations between Israel and the UAE, the United Arab Emirates. As it is expected, other Middle Eastern countries follow will follow in the footsteps of the UAE. This agreement could be a game changer that will turn the Middle East into a region of cooperation and prosperity, he wrote. Also cited in the letter was the president's, quote, key role in facilitating contact between conflicting parties and creating new dynamics in other protracted conflicts, such as the Kashmir border dispute between India and Pakistan and the conflict between North and South Korea, as well as dealing with the nuclear capabilities of North Korea. Also, he praised Trump for withdrawing a large number of troops from the Middle East. He said, indeed, Trump has broken a 39-year-old streak of American presidents either starting a war or bringing the United States into an international armed conflict. The last president to avoid doing so was Peace Prize laureate Jimmy Carter. Now, this is not the first time that Trump has been nominated. This uh, same Norwegian parliamentarian submitted a nomination for Trump in 2018 after Trump met with Kim Jong-un in 2018. Japan's prime minister reportedly did the same. And tried bringing Jedi as a member of a conservative-leaning populist party in Norway. He said, I'm not a big Trump supporter, but the fact is that a lot of people have gotten the prize for doing a lot less. He said, quote, for example, Barack Obama did nothing. That is fair. That is true. Yeah, you'll recall that even when Barack Obama won the Nobel Prize, he's like, what? Why am I here? I don't even know. I guess just because I'm breathing and because I'm the first black president. So Nobel Prize for me. Okay. 
It was very weird. His Nobel Peace Prize acceptance speech was was very awkward. Okay, the, the fact is that Trump's foreign policy has actually been the best part of his administration. So I know a lot of people are into the judges and some are into the cuts to, to the regulatory state. Some people are even into the tweets, although I would say that by polling numbers, not a huge number. But the fact is, just on an objective level, Trump's foreign policy has been the most successful part of his administration. And that doesn't mean that I agree with everything Trumpian about foreign policy. I think that his treatment of Kim Jong-un was ridiculous. I thought that it was completely mishandled. I, I, I never thought that that hanging out with Kim Jong-un was going to change anybody's mind. I never liked his kind words about Vladimir Putin early on in his administration. But Trump's anti-China stance has been quite transformative for a number of countries, including Taiwan. Uh, Trump's willingness to face up to the problem of China is going to have long and far-reaching applications for the next couple of decades of American history, especially should he be reelected. If Joe Biden is elected, there's a reason that China is stumping for Biden to be elected in Trump's place. And most of all, in the Middle East, Trump's activity has been utterly transformative. I mean, the fact is that the Israel-UAE deal that got cut just a few weeks ago, the normalization of relations between Israel and the UAE, that is the first peace deal in the region since 1994, when Jordan signed a deal with Israel. It is the first long-lasting peace deal since 94, and before that, since Israel and Egypt cut a deal. And it is the most transformative deal in a certain way because it is full normalization of relations. It's not a cold peace. It's much more like a warm peace in which there is exchange of, of economic information and in which there is security cooperation. Saudi Arabia is allowing Israel to use its airspace. My guess is that if President Trump is reelected, Saudi will probably normalize relations with Israel as well. We have seen that, that both Serbia and, and Kos uh, Serbia and Kosovo have both cut a deal that involves moving embassies to Jerusalem. We're going to see other countries follow suit. What we are watching is a warming of relations between many members of the Muslim and Arab world and the state of Israel, which is an extraordinary proposition. It truly is. I mean, that, that is something that every president has set their eyes upon. But every president, except for Trump, bought into the myth that the only way the peace was going to get done in the Middle East was via the Palestinians, which was always untrue. That was never at the heart of Israeli-Arab relations. I mean, you could tell that if you'd studied one iota of history because the Palestinians didn't have an independent rooting interest effectively until 1967, since the West Bank and the Gaza Strip at that point were controlled by Jordan and Egypt, respectively. And the bottom line here is that what Trump has done is he has utterly refocused the Middle East in terms of economics, in terms of politics, away from the intransigent Palestinian leadership, which is terrorist in orientation, pro-Iranian in orientation, and toward a broader sort of view of the future of the region as a place where Israel will continue to exist and will have economic interrelations with other countries. Now, to be fair, maybe Obama should get half the Nobel Prize if Trump were to win, because it was Obama's sycophancy toward the Iranian regime that allowed for that transformation in Middle Eastern politics. It was because Barack Obama saw fit to try and raise the profile of the Iranian regime, try to strengthen them, gave them hundreds of billions of dollars in access to the markets in exchange for a promise to hold off on a nuclear weapon for a short period of time after which they could full on develop a nuclear weapon. And because of that, the Sunni Arab world decided, hey, wait a second, it turns out the Jews are not the problem here. It turns out that maybe the Iranians are the problem here and the Jews can actually be helpful here. And that has radically transformed the Middle East. And Trump took full advantage of that radical realignment in the Middle East. Whatever the case may be, the fact is that the work that the Trump administration has done in the Middle East is far more transformative than anything Bill Clinton did. It is far more than Barack Obama did. And, and it is worthwhile noting, by the way, that for all of the talk about Trump, remember when he came into office, people on the left were like, he's a warmonger. He's going to come in here. He's going to start wars. That was always nonsense. And if you follow Trump's rhetoric, one thing he has always been is quasi-isolationist in terms of his foreign policy. And the fact is that Trump is the only president in modern American history not to have involved himself in a war, and particularly in a war without congressional approval. 
In fact, the only uses of force that he has authorized are extraordinarily targeted uses of force, like the killing of Qasem Soleimani in Iraq, the Iranian terrorist leader in Iraq, or the missile firing into Syria. But Barack Obama started a full-scale, non-congressionally authorized war in Libya that went on for months on end. And nobody said boo. He had a drone war that was spanning the globe, and nobody said boo. Captain Nobel Prize over there. So for all of the members of the media who are going to be complaining about Trump being nominated for the Nobel Prize, first of all, probably ain't going to win it. But second of all, he probably deserves to win it. Because honestly, if I look at the rest of the nominees who are going to be up this year, unless they're going to give it to some sort of Hong Kong activist, I, I really don't see who else is even nominated who has done anything remotely as transformative as what Trump has done in the Middle East. It's an actual major accomplishment. It really is. And the media have been downplaying it because it doesn't fit with the image of Trump as a blunderer and a buffoon and a stupid man who goes on Twitter every morning. But bottom line is, if he's in charge of his administration, then he gets credit for it. So it'll be fun to watch all of the hair on fire this morning. In a second, we're going to get to the latest polls because the latest poll information suggests that Trump is still a heavy underdog against Joe Biden, has about a 30% shot of winning re-election at this point. But the national polls are not reflective of the state polls, and the state polls are getting tighter in some places. They seem to be widening a little bit in others. We'll get to that in just one moment. First, let us talk about how you protect your online safety and security. There, there are a lot of people who are going to target you for online hacking just because of, of your beliefs these days. I mean, you've seen all of these stories about members of left-wing online brigades targeting people and swamping people. You've seen Antifa members who are going after people's online information in order to go after them. I mean, all of this stuff is really, really ugly, and it's getting uglier out there. And this is why you really owe it to yourself to protect your online data, your online activity. This is why I recommend using ExpressVPN every time you go online. Big tech companies can use your IP address to match your internet activity to your identity or location, which, again, is going to get uglier as time goes on because a lot of these big tech companies are censorious in the extreme. When I use ExpressVPN, search engines and media sites can't see my IP address at all. My identity is masked and anonymized. ExpressVPN has the added benefit of encrypting 100% of your data to keep you safe from people who you don't want having it. ExpressVPN software takes just a minute to set up on your computer or phone. You tap one button, you're now protected. So if you're like me, you believe your internet data belongs to you, and not to giant tech companies who are not friendly to conservatives, ExpressVPN is indeed the answer. It's always a good idea to protect yourself online, and ExpressVPN makes it happen. Visit expressvpn.com slash Ben to claim an exclusive offer for my fans. There's a reason I myself trust ExpressVPN on all my devices. That is expressvpn.com slash Ben for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash Ben to get started. Okay, so looking at the latest polls, you can sense there's a lot of unease in the Democratic circles. First expressed by Joy Behar. So Joy Behar, yesterday on The View, she obviously is extremely worried that Trump could still win. Democrats still living in the hangover of 2016 when obviously everyone expected that Hillary Clinton was going to be president. And then she emerged to uh, to be not president, wandering the woods of Chappaqua, lonely and alone, carrying around a replica of the Oval Office desk to come for her. Well, here is Joy Behar on, on The View trying to explain why she is so disquieted. I'm more worried that Trump could pull this off, though, because of various reasons. And we all see the polls and we see that Biden is ahead. Uh, but uh, the Russian interference uh, is uh, alive and, and kicking. Uh, Facebook is continuing to leave all the lies on, on the pages. Um, uh, the Postal mm. Service is being interfered with. Uh, we've seen USPS mailboxes being rounded up and mail sorting machines deactivated. So there's a lot of cheating. And on top of that, and I'll make this quick because the five of us have to talk, the Electoral College, I think, is an issue and a problem. 
Okay, she's a crazy person. So she just lists off a bunch of conspiracy theories. And when you see the Democrats listing off conspiracy theories as to why they're going to lose, you can sense that there's an awful lot of disquiet. Okay, the the U.S. Postal Service is not removing mailboxes to prevent you from accomplishing your mail-in vote. That's idiotic. The president of the United States is not encouraging voter fraud. That's idiotic. This is all very, very silly. And when you see it on either side, this sort of alarmism in the lead up to the election, the process is not going to work. We're all going to die. Someone's going to fraudulently steal the election. Just stop. Just stop. Okay, right now, a couple of things are happening. One, the congressional ballot is tightening. Okay, the generic congressional ballot, which people have not really been watching, the generic congressional ballot is pretty much as tight as it has been all year right now. And that is kind of a shocker, considering that Trump in the national polling is actually getting blown out right now. But if you look at the generic ballot, from USC Dornsife right now. It has the Republicans and the Democrats running within like four or five points of each other. And those are not the kind of numbers that the Democrats are looking for. They're looking for an eight to 10 point congressional ballot lead. They're not seeing that. What you are seeing instead is a lot of people who feel unease with the Democratic Party overall, which makes perfect sense since the Democratic Party is currently holding up relief bills while attempting to undermine cops all over the nation. Meanwhile, in the battleground states, Florida looks like it is basically dead even. And there's some polling data that is really disquieting for for Joe Biden in in Florida. Here is some of this data. Okay, so there's a poll yesterday that came out from NBC News Marist. It shows that Biden and Trump are deadlocked, which really means that Trump is going to win. And the reason I say that Trump's going to win in Florida is because look at these numbers. Clinton with Florida Latinos in 2016 per the exit polls. Clinton had 62 percent of the vote. Trump had 35 percent of the vote. Biden with Florida Latinos in 2020 is trailing Trump 50 to 46. So. Clinton beat Trump by full-on 27 points among Florida Latinos in 2016. Trump is now leading Biden by four. That is a 31-point shift in favor of Trump among Florida Latinos. Now, among Florida seniors, what you're seeing is that Biden is slightly leading Trump, and Trump won Florida seniors in big numbers last time. But I don't think that that is going to outweigh that massive shift. And by the way, there, there are a bunch of these polls that are showing sort of a consistent level of increased black support for President Trump, which is something you're not seeing a lot of talk about. And the reason you're not seeing a lot of talk about it is because people are like, is that really going to materialize? The answer is it definitely could. It definitely could. And if Donald Trump wins a heavier share of the Hispanic and Latino vote, man, is that going to blow up all the conventional wisdom? It's truly among white college educated people, the kind of Mitt Romney crowd that Trump has lost a lot of votes. He's lost a lot of votes among independent women. He's lost a lot of votes among suburban white Americans. But in the, if he drives heavy rural turnout and if he gets an increased share of black or Hispanic turnout, then that could really be the death knell for the Biden campaign. So when you look at the national polling, no question Biden is the favorite. I mean, he's up 7.3 in the Real Clear Politics poll average, and he has trailed in one, count him one poll nationally since the beginning of the year. In the battleground states, however, things seem to be a lot closer. Again, Florida is, is not the bellwether state anymore. I think that Trump will probably win Florida. Then the question becomes, can Biden replicate the supposed blue wall that Hillary was going to come up with in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania? Right now, he is leading in all three. Wisconsin, he has the biggest lead, according to the latest polls. It seemed like it might have been tightening up there. And then there was this Fox News poll that showed that Biden was up pretty heavy. And now there are several polls that are showing that Biden is up pretty heavily in Wisconsin. Even Rasmussen, which tends to be pretty friendly to Trump, has Biden up eight in in Wisconsin. CBS YouGov has Biden up six. CNBC has Biden up six in Wisconsin. So whatever effect Kenosha has had, it has not had that effect as of yet when it comes to Wisconsin. When it comes to other states like Arizona, Arizona looks like a state that is moving steadily away from Trump. So that's a real problem for him. That means that he has to pick up another state, right? It means that it is not enough for him to win one of Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. He needs to win two of those. Michigan seems to be relatively tight. 
Biden has about a three-point lead in the real clear politics poll average. Uh, and when it looks at, and when you look at Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania also seems to be rather tight. In in fact, in most of the polling, except for a new NBC News Marist poll that has Biden up nine, it seems like that race is within margin of error. So the polls are a little bit all over the place, but you have to say that the momentum right now is still with Biden going into the election. Now, that could shift pretty quickly. And the reason I say that could shift pretty quickly is because I don't think that the Trump campaign has brought out the big gun, big guns yet. The big guns for the Trump campaign, it's got to be the anti-police campaigning by the Democrats. Okay, and that ties into a broader ideology that has been pushed by the left for generations at this point. Uh, it's an ideology called critical race theory. Okay, critical race theory first kind of came to public attention back in 2012. When there was a video, I remember I was at Breitbart at the time, and Breitbart broke a video of Derek Bell, who was the founder of critical race theory from Harvard Law School, hugging Barack Obama. Barack Obama held a rally where he spoke in favor of Derek Bell being granted tenure at Harvard Law School, even though he hadn't done a lot of real academic work. And the reason that Derek Bell became the celebrated figure is because he was the father of so-called critical race theory. I'm going to explain what critical race theory is in a second, because all of the intersectionality and wokeism that you are seeing dominating American politics today springs from critical race theory. It was being taught until the last five seconds in the federal government itself until the Trump administration stepped in and stopped it. And that critical race theory ideology has driven a lot of the Democrats thinking. Now, they're not going to call it critical race theory because they don't actually know the origins of their own philosophy. This happens a lot in politics where there's a lot of highfalutin talk on college campuses about the foundations of a particular philosophy. Over time, it filters down into sort of bumper sticker slogans. The no silence, no peace kind of stuff starts off as a higher philosophy. The silence is violence, microaggression. All of American politics is systems of power. That starts off at a higher level of discussion that is much more abstracted. Eventually, it is funneled down to common policymakers and to broad groups of people who then rally and riot in the streets. But the origins of that philosophy are really, really ugly. Critical race theory is an ugly philosophy. It is a racist philosophy. It essentially substitutes, substitutes race for class in Marxist theory. We'll get to that in a second. And it does matter because you have to understand exactly what people are thinking in order to understand why they are doing what they are doing with regard to, for example, law enforcement and criminality. We'll get to that in just one moment. First, you might be uh, feeling a little bit less safe these days as you watch rising crime in America's major cities all over the United States. And, you know, there are situations happening all over the United States on a regular basis where people are victimized by violent crime. There's a reason why gun sales are going up and up and up. And there's a reason why you need to know how to use a gun. We have seen too many cases recently where somebody uses a gun to protect themselves and then they end up being dragged in front of a court on charges. Now, you need to know what to do. Nightmares do come true sometimes, but you have to know what to do. You have to know what your rights are. In this day and age, you need a gun to protect your family and yourself, but you need more than that. You need a 100% free copy of the Complete Concealed Carry and Family Defense Guide from the United States Concealed Carry Association. It's 164 pages. It comes with a bonus audio version so you can listen whenever you want. Just text Shapiro to 87222. You'll get instant access and a chance to win 1000 bucks so you can buy a gun to protect your family. Text Shapiro to 87222 right now. Seriously, you owe it to yourself to, if you're a law-abiding citizen, own a gun, but also know exactly how to use it, what your rights are, and to have a group that will come to your defense, legally speaking, if, God forbid, you have to use a weapon in self-defense. Get your 100% free copy of the Complete Concealed Carry and Family Defense Guide from the USCCA. They are excellent people, and you get a chance to win 1000 bucks so you can buy a gun to protect your family. Text Shapiro to 87222. Again, text Shapiro to 87222 right now. Shapiro to 87222. Okay, so critical race theory has become a hot issue again. The reason it's become a hot issue is because the Trump administration put forward through the Office of Management and Budget, as we discussed yesterday, a letter saying that they're not going to allow the teaching of critical race theory on government campuses anymore. 
Uh, there shall be no more dissemination of this nonsense in government offices. And it was being used for diversity training. Okay, it's just a propagandistic effort to declare the United States and its institutions systemically racist, to suggest that all white people are complicit in that racism, are part of a racist system, and that, in fact, all white people are inherently racist because they work within systems that generate unequal outcomes. As I've discussed before, the perspective here is that any system that generates an unequal outcome between groups of people, which is every system on the planet, but if you have a system that generates unequal outcomes between racial groups, then the system itself is racist. And if you are, quote unquote, complicit in the system, then this means that you yourself are racist, even if you've never done a racist thing and even if you have no racist intent. Okay, so the federal government was was teaching this, literally teaching this in government offices. They were, they were distributing PowerPoints talking about how all white Americans are racist by the new definition of racism. And the Trump administration stepped in and said, we're not doing this anymore. And now you've got Democratic Congress people and members of the media who are either pretending that this is a terrible thing or saying that it doesn't matter at all. So Al Green, the Democratic representative from New York, he says that it is anti-American to end the sort of critical racial theory training that was happening in the federal government. Sorry, he's from Texas. In the president's America, uh, it is anti-American to have diversity and inclusion as an agenda item. Uh, unfortunately, he has an America that um, is shrinking. It is anti-American to do what the president is doing, and that is to ban diversity training and call it anti-American. Uh, the president's doing the country a disservice with this kind of behavior. So the way the critical race theory hides its sort of ugly philosophy is by hiding behind this diversity training nonsense. They say, we're, we're training you for diversity. You're not. They're not training you for diversity. They're training you in an actual theory. Don Lemon over at CNN denies that critical race theory is even an, even a thing. He says that it's just another bogeyman. But that is because he wishes to he, he wishes you not to know the truth, which is that critical race theory is, in fact, an animating philosophy that is filtered down through a variety of, of, ch of channels and streams via things like intersectionality, via things like identity politics. Here's Don Lemon dismissing it. And then we'll discuss exactly what it is. This whole idea, I don't understand, well, I do understand what's going on, of critical race theory. Are we going back to the 80s? Because this all played out in the 1980s, this whole thing about critical race theory in politics. It is another boogeyman yeah, we're going right to try to, to scare it. people. We're going back to the 80s. Yeah. There's no new, nothing new about critical yeah, race theory. It's still scary. Just go back and do, go, do a Google search still, on critical race scary. theory and politics. I'll tell you. Look at these geniuses. Okay, so, so an idea... That was ugly in the 1980s and has now reached full animated form in today's American politics is not relevant because it happened in the 1980s. It's, it's weird how everything that leftists don't want to talk about is relegated to the past. But everything that they want to talk about that is from like the 1840s is happening right now. You see this all the time in left wing writing. You'll see a Ta-Nehisi Coates piece where he'll cite some evil instance of the of the brut brutal treatment of a slave in 1810. Fast forward 200 years. And, the, and he'll just say, well, it's exactly the same today. But if you're talking about an actual active ideology in the United States, like critical race theory, then you see folks like Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo pretending that it has no impact on, on modern American thought. So what exactly is critical race theory and why does it matter? Okay, so back in 2012, I reported extensively on this. Uh, I remember that, that some of the professors in, in Harvard Law School were big fans of critical race theory. Critical race theory springs from a generalized study of, of the law called critical legal studies. Critical legal studies is the idea that there is no such thing as a neutral principle in law. In fact, there is no such thing as objectivity in law. Judges cannot determine via neutral principles the outcome of a case. Instead, the way that judges actually determine what it is they want to rule is they look to their own politics 
And then they just figure out a way to finagle those politics into a ruling. So in other words, there's no such thing as true philosophy. There's no such thing as truth. There's no such thing as objectivity. All there is are subjective points of view and people who wish to cram down their power on you. So all human dynamics, all human interrelationships are about power, right? None of them are about higher ideals. None of them are about big ideas. All that human relationships are about is one group of people attempting to use its power against another group of people. Okay, that is the critical legal studies movement. A branch of the critical legal studies movement was started by Derek Bell. It's called critical race theory. Critical race theory is the idea that all human relationships are not just driven by power, but driven by racial power. So racial power undergirds every system. All systems are driven by racial power. In fact, there are some core assumptions made by critical race theory. So as I say, this really began in the late 70s and early 1980s. This is me writing for Breitbart back in 2012, in which some scholars, perturbed by what they perceived as a loss of momentum in the movement for racial equality, began to doubt that the constitutional and legal system itself had the capacity for change. This criticism mirrored a Marxist attack long voiced in academia that the Constitution was a capitalist document incapable of allowing for the redistributionist change necessary to create a more equal world. So in other words, the, the outcome of the civil rights movement, which was, okay, now all the rules are equal for everybody, go out and play the game. That wasn't enough because this still left in place these capitalist structures and these capitalist structures were bad and they were bad because they were unfair. And therefore the way to tear down those structures was to castigate all of those structures as, as inherently racist. The Marxist system, criticism of the system was called critical theory. The racial criticism of the system was called critical race theory. It was, it was a direct offshoot of critical theory. So in a second, I'm going to get to what are the core beliefs of critical race theory and how, we, how are we seeing those play out in every area of American life? Because we are watching this play out in literally every area of American life right now, despite the best protestations of idiots like Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo combined IQ slightly above that of an inanimate object. We'll get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that you need a great couch. You need a great couch. Okay, right now, you're spending an awful lot of time at home and you got this old beat up sofa. It looks like garbage. Don't you need a couch that is personalized for you? You've been hearing me talk for a long time about my Helix mattress. It's fantastic, right? I sleep better because I'm on my Helix mattress, but I've got even more exciting news. Helix has gone beyond the boudoir. They've started making sofas. They just launched a new company called Allform. They're making premium, customizable sofas and chairs shipped directly to your door. So what makes an Allform sofa really cool? Well, for starters, it's the easiest way you can customize a sofa using premium materials at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. You can pick your fabric. It is spill, stain, scratch resistant. The sofa color, the color of the legs, sofa size, shape to make sure it's perfect for you and your home. They've got armchairs and love seats all the way up to an eight-seat sectional, so there's something for everyone. And you can always start small and buy more seats later on if you want your Allform sofa to grow and change with you when you move. All form sofas are also delivered directly to your home with fast free shipping. In the past, if you wanted to order a sofa, it could take weeks or even months to arrive, and you would need someone to come and assemble it in your home. All form takes just three to seven days to arrive in the mail, and you can put it together yourself in just a few minutes. We did it ourselves. I have a fantastic all form sofa. My kids try to beat the hell out of it, but this thing is durable and it is comfortable. It is awesome. I picked out the three seat sofa with chaise in the sand color with espresso legs. It is fabulous. If getting a sofa without trying it in store sounds risky, don't worry. You get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. More than three months. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free, give you a full refund, and they've got a forever warranty, literally forever. So find your perfect sofa today. Check out allform.com slash Ben. And again, when you use that slash Ben, you get 20% off all orders. Allform.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Allform.com slash Ben for 20% off. Okay, so back to critical race theory. So what exactly are the key tenets of critical race theory? Well, there's a primer called Critical Race Theory by Richard Delgado, who's one of the, found, the movement's founders, and Jean Stefanczyk. And they set out some basic principles. One, racism is ordinary, not aberrational. So in other words, we used to believe that the normal course of human events is that you were nice to people and treated them as individuals. 
Critical race theory believes that everyone is racist. Only some racism matters because if you're in a position of power, then your racism matters. But if you're not, then you can't be racist against anybody else. Racism is ordinary, not aberrational, right? You, you are just by dint of being a racist, particularly if you're white. Two, our system of white overcolor ascendancy serves important purposes, both psychic and material, right? What that means is that every system in the United States is rife with racism. All of our institutions are shot through with racism. If this sounds familiar, it's because this is all the same stuff you are seeing the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement proclaim. You are seeing politicians proclaim this. Joe Biden proclaims this. He would have rejected critical race theory in the 1980s, but now Joe Biden mouths platitudes about systemic police racism. Right, That is swallowing hook, line, and sinker, the critical race theory thought that all systems are shot through with racism and that all systems that exist are about white over other colors ascendancy, which again is weird because the highest earning subgroups in the United States are Indian Americans and Asian Americans. As I wrote back in 2012, when taken together, these principles have serious ramifications. First, they suggest that legal rules that stand for equal treatment under law, like the 14th Amendment, can remedy, quote, only the most blatant forms of discrimination. In other words, the equal protection clause that says you have to have equal protection under the laws, that only remedies laws that overtly discriminate. But what about all of these subtle forms of discrimination in American society? Well, CRT, critical race theory, argues the system is too corrupted, too bad on the notion of white supremacy for equal protection of the laws to ever be a reality. The system has to be made unequal in order to compensate for the innate racial superiority of the white majority, the innate racial power of the white majority. Second, the principles suggest that even measures taken to alleviate unequal protection under the law, for example, Brown versus the Board of Education, desegregation, were actually taken to serve white interests. Derek Bell actually believed this, right? Derek Bell actually said that Brown versus Board had only been decided in order to prevent the Soviet Union from using American racial prejudice as a public relations baton to wield against white majority United States. Now, there are some internal contradictions in critical racial theory that come up pretty regularly, right? Some of the CRT writers believe, like Martin Luther King believed, that racial lines are basically arbitrary, that race is a social construct. Some believe that race is inherently and inextricably tied to identity. Delgado and Stefanczyk, some of the founders of critical racial theory, they say minority status, in other words, brings, brings with it a presumed competence to speak about race and racism. So racism, so, so race itself is a social construct, but you only get to speak if you're a member of a particular race, which means that your racial identity has to lie in victimhood. And this is what we've seen, right? That Independent racial identity is apparently not really a thing and and shouldn't be a thing, according to members of the critical race theory brigade. But they also believe that race is the most important thing about you, even though race is a social construct. So how can both of those two things be true? Well, you can do that if you turn race into a statement not about biology, but if race is a statement about victimhood at the hands of the system. And that's what CRT does. So this is how they can say that black Americans who don't agree with the left, people like Candace Owens or Thomas Sowell or Clarence Thomas are not truly black because racial identity is about victimology in its essence. And the only way you can be truly black is to fight against those systems. And this is a very disturbing theory, obviously. What this does, it sets up a, a, an extraordinary hierarchy where you have to be a member of a, of a minority who opposes the system in order to be heard about the system itself. Jeffrey Pyle summed this up at the Boston College Law Review. He said, critical race theorists attack the very foundations of the classical liberal legal order, including equality theory, legal reasoning, enlightenment rationalism, and neutral principles of constitutional law. These liberal values, they allege, have no enduring basis in principles, but are mere social constructs calculated to legitimate white supremacy. The rule of law, according to critical race theorists, is a false promise of principled government, and they have lost patience with false promises. You see exactly this in the streets today. You see exactly this. This is what people are shouting about. It's what people are yelling about. 
And it's why people who should not, for any reason, be elevated in American public discourse have been elevated in American public discourse. It's why the 1619 Project exists, to carry forth the notion that all of America is based on power dynamics between races. It is not based on fundamental principles that bring us together as a creedal nation. And you're seeing it play out in the way that the left reacts to current events. It's pretty amazing. There was this story that came out not not all that long ago, a couple of, maybe three three or four days ago, in which a professor outed herself, professor from a major college, she outed herself as actually a a white person. So she is a black person, but she outed herself as a white person. She was a, a Jewish lady from Kansas City who'd been masquerading as black for years and years and years and years. And she'd actually been nominated for like Frederick Douglass prizes and for Harriet Tubman prizes and all this kind of stuff. Okay, she was a, a teacher at George Washington University and a quote-unquote expert in African history. Her name is Jessica Krug. Okay, the fact is that she was well-respected until the moment when she outed herself. She was well-respected despite the fact that she was insane. Okay, this is a clip of Jessica Krug defending a black gang's machete murder of a 15-year-old. This did not end her academic career. It ended her academic career when she said, oh, by the way, I'm not a member of the race I purport to be a member of. Here's Jessica Krug not all that long ago. We have to consider a radical moment in 2018 in which people are using machetes to hack apart a 15-year-old boy who's working with the police. The way the story about his innocence and the inherent violence of the people who hacked him apart become the narrative we tell. About, About how the loss of innocence is the story we mourn. And it's so much more difficult to understand what kind of freedom could we achieve by being willing to confront those within the community who are working against the interests of the community as a whole at the end of a machete. Okay, so this is her basically suggesting that we have to consider the broader concerns of people who machete hacked a 15-year-old to death. Okay, this sort of stuff is considered de rigueur at America's major universities. Seriously, I mean, this sort of stuff is super common at America's universities. And it ties into this broader theory, which is that all of America is about power politics. So if somebody who is of color does something really, really bad, even to another person who is of color, that criminality is of no consequence. And the reason the criminality is of no consequence is because these are, quote unquote, powerless people fighting within the system. And so anything bad they do is attributable to the system that has put them in a position of subjugation. This is the only way to explain Honestly, it's the only way to explain why a Democratic Party that used to believe in law and order. Yes, Joe Biden used to be a law and order guy. Joe Biden in 1994 was the sponsor of a criminal bill that was designed to put bad people in jail. And it succeeded in doing so. The fact that he is running headlong away from the 1994 criminal bill says so much about the Democratic Party right now. Because here is what the chart of American crime looked like up to the 1990s. Okay, it looked like this. It was straight up. It was straight up from 1960 to 1994. The violent crime rates in the United States rose year on year extraordinarily radically. And then after 1994 and things like that crime bill and additional policing across the nation, the crime rate begins to decline and it begins to decline and it declines extraordinarily. I mean, it's, it's an incredible story. There's a great book by Barry Lasser called The Rise and Fall of Violent Crime in America. And it's all about the, the rise of crime and the decline in crime. And it is directly connected to broken windows policing. It is directly connected to sentencing criminals to periods of time in prison and keeping them in prison, right? It's directly connected to taking crime seriously. But in order to take crime seriously, you have to believe that the criminals are the bad guys. Right now, the Democratic Party has decided the criminals are not, in fact, the bad guys. The criminals are just symptoms of deeper underlying ills with the racist, systemic American system. And the predictable result of this is that they've taken sides with the criminals against the cops. There's no other way to read what Kamala Harris and Joe Biden have been doing with the Jacob Blake family in Kenosha or what they've been doing by flirting with the Black Lives Matter movement and Antifa 
other than they've made the decision that critical race theory is in fact correct. 1619 Project is correct. All of America is power politics. And power politics is all this is about. And the only way to rectify the system is to tear it down from the inside. And Joe Biden will be a Trojan horse for that. He'll say that he's going to, he'll make white people feel comfortable with the idea he's only going to tinker with the system. But in essence, he's winking and nodding at people who want to tear down the entire system. By the way, they're not going to be satisfied with Joe Biden. Even if Joe Biden wanted to be an obstacle to them, they ain't going to be satisfied with him. They they weren't satisfied with Barack Obama, the radical radical left. The Ilhan Omars of the system who continue to claim that America is a systemically racist, unjust, oppressive place. Those people are going to have control of of the levers of the Democratic Party for the foreseeable future. And we're going to get to the predictable results of this because you can see what is happening all over the United States as police chiefs are forced to resign. We'll get to that in just one moment. First, let us talk about the fact that right now, it can be tough to find great employees and it can be tough to find a great employer. This is why you need a ZipRecruiter. In fact, if you're looking for a job and not taking advantage of technology like ZipRecruiter, you are losing the edge. Monica Starks could relate. She needed to hire for a pivotal role at her construction company, GS Group, but was having a tough time finding the right person, especially with so many candidates out there. So she switched to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience for your job and then actively invites them to apply, which is why you should try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire, which is how Monica found Lamont Jenkins. She said ZipRecruiter sent Lamont's profile to her around five minutes after she posted her job because he was a great match for the role. Through ZipRecruiter, Monica's company has hired everyone from accountants to project managers to field scientists. Monica is not the only employer who loves ZipRecruiter. We love ZipRecruiter here at Daily Wire. We use ZipRecruiter every time we look for somebody to fill a job opening. Let's say that you had an employee. Let's say you had a producer who just every one morning, he just charged into the makeup room and said, do you have my money? And let's say you wanted to replace that employee because what the hell is that employee talking about? Well, producer Nick, you'd find yourself on the breadlines thanks to ZipRecruiter and we'd find someone who doesn't spend his time a-whittling and sitting on his porch picking at the banjo. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the very first day. See for yourself how ZipRecruiter makes hiring faster and easier. Try it right now for free. That is correct, free at ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyWire. Go check them out right now. Okay, we're going to get to the predictable results, the field results of CRT in action. But first, as part of our Daily Wire audience, there are a lot of ways you can take in the podcast. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, another podcast app. You can also watch our podcast on YouTube, Facebook, over at dailywire.com. Bottom line, we are making our content available to you anywhere you want to watch or listen. And now we're introducing a new upgraded experience. Daily Wire is now on Apple TV and Roku, so members can enjoy all of the visual elements on this podcast on your big screen, either live or on demand. Find the Daily Wire on Apple TV or Roku and download it today. You have to be an insider member to watch live. So head on over to dailywire.com slash Shapiro. Use code watch at checkout to get 15% off your membership purchase. This deal won't last long. So act fast if you want a lot, if you want live shows on your big screen. Plus this, the one of a kind, highly coveted, often imitated, never duplicated, makes Julian Fry's leftist tears tumbler. Again, that is dailywire.com slash Shapiro to get 15% off with code watch and download the Daily Wire on your Apple TV and Roku. Today, you're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. So if you're asking yourself, why is it that mainline Democrats, mainstream Democrats are out there in Kenosha praising, praising an alleged rapist and ripping on the police? This is the bleed down effect of critical race theory. Now, you don't have to know where it came from. I don't think Kamala Harris is an expert on critical race studies. I don't think that Joe Biden even knows where he is right now, let alone knows what critical race theory is. It doesn't matter. 
ideologies have consequences. And as they bleed through the body politic and as they are imbibed, broadly speaking, it's like a toxic poison in the water. You don't have to get that much of it in order for it to affect your thinking. And you can sense that the Democratic Party has gotten some of this, which is why they are backing away from the law and order, sister soldier moments of the Clinton days and, 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 and towards something new and more radical and really old and more radical. Right? All the stuff that was considered radical in 1983 is now considered somewhat mainstream in the Democratic Party. Well, the predictable result of this, when you rip on the cops and when you treat every isolated incident of police brutality as indicative of broader systemic oppression, and when you take bad examples, right? When, when you just look at the Jacob Blake case, which is a justified police shooting by all available evidence, or when you look at the case of, for example, Daniel Prude in Rochester, where it looks as though the police officers in that case did not in fact kill Daniel Prude, by the available evidence, it looks like he died of excited delirium, right? Which, which happens when you are high on PCP and smashing windows and walking naked down the street, and then you die of a heart attack. Excited delirium is an actual medical condition. Very often, the cops are blamed for asphyxia in these conditions. There is not a lot of evidence that suggests asphyxia has to do with excited delirium. By the way, this was also implicated in the George Floyd case. Well, it turns out that when you target the cops as the root of all evil, the predictable happens and cops leave. And this is what's happening in Rochester. According to ABC News, after days of protests against the Rochester Police Department in light of the death of Daniel Prude, its top officer and his deputy announced Tuesday they are retiring from the force. Along with the police chief, six other department leaders announced they will vacate their roles. Rochester Police Chief Laron Singletary, who is in fact black, said in a statement he was honored to serve the city in upstate New York for 20 years and commended his staff. However, he said the protests and criticism of his handling of the investigation into the March 23rd incident are, quote, an attempt to destroy my character and integrity. He said, as a man of integrity, I will not sit idly by while outside entities attempt to destroy my character. The members of the Rochester Police Department and the greater Rochester community know my reputation and know what I stand for. So he quit kind of on the spur of the moment. And he quit because he was tired of being labeled part of a racist system. Again, he is a black man who's been serving in Rochester for 20 years. Mayor Lovely Warren informed the Rochester City Council that in addition to Singletary, the entire command staff announced it would be vacating their roles today. She said none of the police leaders were asked to resign, but basically the police union laid the blame at the foot of the mayor's office. The Rochester Police Locust Club said, quote, the events, that, the events that have unfolded today have taken us completely by surprise as they have everyone else. What is clear is that the problems of leadership go directly to the mayor's office. Our priority now is on the dedicated men and women who, despite unprecedented challenges, continue to do a very difficult job. Okay, well, this is what happens when you rip the cops and suggest that the cops themselves are the problem when they are the ones policing crime. By the way, it is not just a black police chief in Rochester stepping down. It is also the Dallas black female police chief, you, Renee Hall, she has resigned. She abruptly announced her resignation on Tuesday amid eroding support on the city council stemming from her department's handling of protests over the policing of African-Americans. She's the first woman to lead the Dallas department. She's held the position since 2017. In her resignation letter, she expressed gratitude for serving in the post, but acknowledged she'd faced challenges in recent months. She said it has not been easy. She said much has been accomplished by standing together in support of community policing and changes in the way our officers perform their duties in 2020. What apparently was the big problem? Well, when she reported on the protests, she reported that protesters were targeting in the police, but apparently did not discuss some of the harsh measures employed by officers against demonstrators. So Mayor Eric Johnson said that uh, he had not spoken to the chief, but was not terribly surprised. He said that um, he had been openly frustrated by the chief's unsuccessful efforts to reverse violent crime. Several police chiefs around the country have resigned or been fired in recent months. Over all of this, police chiefs in Seattle, Atlanta, Louisville, and Tucson, Arizona have left. The police chief in Rochester, New York, left. 
Hall came from, came from Detroit. She was deputy police chief in Detroit to Dallas. And she left as well. So we are seeing police chiefs all over the United States leave their jobs because they're not willing to be subjected to the rigors of critical race theory in which the police are systemically racist, even if they are being led by people who are minorities. In fact, right, Carmen Best in Seattle, another case in point, was a woman of color who was forced to step down as police chief when they cut her salary for the great crime of not being allowed to police crime. What's incredible, how far left has, has the left moved here? How far left is the Democratic Party moving? Al Sharpton has now become the voice of reason, right? Al Sharpton, yesterday, he chided people in the media for trying to defund the police. He said only latte liberals in the Hamptons support this. Here's Al Sharpton morphing magically into Sean Hannity. We need to reimagining how we do policing. But when you are talking about the fact that, A, we are in the areas where that is inundated with guns, that has this uh, serious problems of our uh, people being given guns that can't even get a summer program. To take all policing off is something that I think uh, a latte liberal may go for as they sit around the Hamptons discussing this as some academic problem. But people living on the ground need proper policing. Okay, when when you have left Al Sharpton behind, you guys may have moved too far. This is Captain, I'm going to completely fake a crime with Tuan Bradley and blame a local DA and the cops for it. And Al Sharpton's like, you guys have gone too far for me. Okay, so how far has critical race theory gone? It's infected every, every element of American culture. Okay, today's example of American culture being infected with this nonsense is the new Oscars standard. So people are always saying, like, why do you care about the Oscars? You know, you say you don't care about, first of all, I've never said I don't care about culture. I wrote an entire book on television called Primetime Propaganda. Culture matters a lot because as my mentor, Andrew Breitbart said, culture is upstream of politics. More people are affected by culture than are affected by politics. By the way, this is the reason why people on the left get super pissed whenever I mention culture. If I make fun of Cardi B and suggest that a song in which a woman proclaims that being a whore is empowering is actually not good for women, and when I mock the lyrics for being trite, ridiculous, and physically repulsive, I mean, <laughs> which which they are, okay, that when, that in no way is that song sexy. When you mention the fact that that idiotic song has five different people writing it and that they have come up with the least... I'd say the least inspiring vision of femininity maybe ever created in pop culture. When you say that, then people on the left get mad. Why are you so mad about culture, bro? Why are you so mad? Okay, culture matters because people imbibe it by literally the hundreds of millions. So why do the Oscars matter? Because people imbibe movies by the hundreds of millions. So now the Oscars has finally decided to make formal what was always informal. So every year before the Oscars, I would do the woke Oscars. I've been doing this for, for several years where I would try and predict the outcome of particular Oscar races simply by looking at the number of woke checkboxes the movies checked. And so Moonlight obviously was going to check a lot of woke boxes. It was both gay and black. The Shape of Water checked a bunch of woke boxes. It had a gay character. It had a black character. It had a woman having sex with a fish. So obviously all of the woke boxes were checked. And, and you can you, we've been able to do this for, for quite a long time at the Oscars. Well, now the Oscars is making it formal. And this is incredible. Okay, so the Oscars has now decided that they are going to have formal standards for eligibility for Best Picture. According to the LA Times, developed over the past few months by a special task force as part of the organization's Academy Aperture 2025 initiative, the standards encompass both representation on screen in, to, in the types of stories being told and the actors involved, as well as behind the scenes in the makeup of the crew and in, and in the inclusivity of the companies involved. So in other words, you can either be eligible for Best Picture Oscar by mimicking exactly the narratives that the Hollywood woke critical race theory left wants you to tell, 
or by having an internship program with a few black kids. That's that's <laughs> I love the the get out of jail free clause is this uh, internship program that you can just kind of bolt on to your company. To be eligible for Best Picture, a film must meet at least two standards across four categories. On-screen representation, themes and narratives, creative leadership and project team, industry access and opportunities, and audience development. Within each category are a variety of criteria involving the inclusion of people in underrepresented groups, including women, people of color, LGBTQ people, and those with cognitive or physical disabilities. So first of all, if you add together all those groups of people, that is not a minority in the United States. First of all, women are a sheer majority in the United States. But in any case, the only standards to qualify for Best Picture before involves a running time over 40 minutes, which uh, is makes sense since it's just what's the best picture, not what's the best woke picture. But now they have decided to actually mandate what kind of content is eligible. So this means that a bunch of recent nominees would not be eligible, like 1917, a World War I film, which featured a bunch of white people. Because guess what? World War I featured a lot of white people, as it turns out. The gangster epic, The Irishman, which is, in fact, about the Italian and Irish mafia. Like, that, that like, okay. Apparently, all of this is no, no longer any good. In fact, a lot of great movies are no longer any good. Okay, so here are the standards. On-screen representation themes and narratives. To achieve standard A, the film must meet one of the following criteria. First, lead or significant supporting actors. At least one of the lead actors or significant supporting actors is from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group. Asian, Hispanic, Black, Indigenous, Middle Eastern, Native Hawaiian, or other underrepresented race or ethnicity. Two, general ensemble cast. At least 30% of all, act- 30% of all actors in secondary and more minor roles are from at least two of the following underrepresented groups. Women, racial or ethnic group, LGBTQ+, or people with cognitive or physical disabilities who are deaf or are hard of hearing. So I guess that if the Irishman just has a bunch of extras in the background who are black, they're good. And then finally, main storyline subject matter. The main storyline theme or narrative of the film is centered on an underrepresented group, women, racial or ethnic group, LGBTQ+, people with cognitive or physical disabilities, or who are deaf or hard of hearing. So very exciting stuff. They're actually going to mandate what the storylines are for you to be eligible for Best Picture. So that rules out probably two-thirds of the former Academy Award nominees. Okay, other ways that you can achieve eligibility. You can have a bunch of um, women, racial or ethnic minorities, LGBTQ+, people with cognitive or physical disabilities in creative or leadership positions. Or... You can have people in other key roles who are of this, or 30% of the film crew should be from underrepresented groups. Also, you could have paid apprenticeship, paid apprenticeship and internship opportunities and training opportunities and skills development. Ah, there's the internship program that allows you to get out of jail free. You can still make the Irishman so long as you have an internship program that, that features underrepresented groups. And finally, you have to have representation in marketing, publicity, and distribution. Okay, so we're, we're now just doing socialist propaganda is what we're doing here. We're now just doing SJW propaganda. Why? Because again, Hollywood is about relationships of power. It's about power dynamics. It's all critical race theory. And the only way to overthrow that is by mandating from the top down exactly what kind of stories can be told and how people are represented in those stories. Every area of culture will be overtaken by the SJW woke culture. Video games too will be overtaken by the SJW woke culture. So EA Madden, which has really crappy ratings, user ratings, like 0.2 rating for EA Madden. Madden NFL 21 is welcoming back Colin Kaepernick. Now, you may be saying to yourself, wait a second, when did Colin Kaepernick leave the NFL? I mean, isn't that a human being who has not actually played in the NFL like for years? As in like the last year that he played in the NFL was 2016. And currently I'm looking at the calendar. It is in fact 2020. And isn't it also true 
that uh, his QB rating in his last year was uh, absolutely awful and his completion rating was not very good and that he, in fact, is not a very good quarterback and was benched for the immortal Blaine Gabbert. Well, according to EA Sports, he actually is good again. He's good. He's really good. So EA Madden has decided again, critical race theory stuff, we have to insert Colin Kaepernick back into the sport and pretend he is a good quarterback. So here is EA Madden, quote, Colin Kaepernick is one of the top free agents in football and a starting caliber quarterback. Oh, thanks, EA Madden. Thanks for the info. I didn't know that because it's not true. The team at EA Sports, along with millions of Madden NFL fans, want to see him back in our game. We've had a long relationship with Colin through Madden NFL and worked through our past soundtrack mistakes. Knowing that our EA Sports experiences are platforms for players to create, we want to make Madden NFL a place that reflects Colin's position and talent and rates him as a starting QB and empowers our fans to express their hopes for the future of football. We've worked with Colin to make this possible. We're excited to bring it to you all today. Starting today in Madden NFL 21, fans can put Colin Kaepernick at the helm of any NFL team in franchise mode, as well as play with him in play now. We look forward to seeing Colin on Madden NFL teams everywhere. So uh, that is hilarious. That is hilarious. So first of all, I'm just going to point out that this rates him higher than like Cam Newton and a bunch of other starting quarterbacks in the NFL. All he had to do is, uh, is be unbelievably crappy. His lifetime record he has uh, 28 wins and 30 losses. He had one good year, followed by three not very good ones and lost his starting job to Blaine Gabbert. So really, really solid stuff. Really, really good. He is rated above a bunch of actual starting quarterbacks in the NFL. And the way you win the Super Bowl, apparently, in Madden EA is by kneeling. You just hit that X button at the bottom of your controller and you kneel and you, you automatically win. Now, if you sense that there is some cultural hypocrisy to all of this, that basically... You know, people are pretending to imbibe from the CRT handbook, but really they're just doing performative wokeness in order to buy off people who are more radical. You'd be exactly right. Because when the real money is at the table, when the real money is at stake, they're not doing any of this stuff. Perfect case in point is China. Okay, so Disney is, it's not just the NBA, right? So the NBA does the performative woke stuff. The NBA does the performative woke stuff all the time, right? The NBA has Black Lives Matter painted on the court and you can put education reform. It's like education reform Tatum going up for a dunk because on the back of his jersey and all this nonsense. But then when it comes to, can you condemn China? Nope. Can you condemn them for taking over Hong Kong? Nope. Can you condemn them for, you know, helping you set up like a slave factory for little kids playing basketball? Nope. So the, the NBA knows where its bread is buttered. Disney also knows where its bread is buttered. This is the greatest contrast, right? America sucks, but every other dictatorship is good. This bespeaks the, the lack of sincerity of the corporate willingness to kowtow to the SJW crowd. So last year, last year, Disney's CEO went after the state of Georgia. Remember, the state of Georgia passed a law that restricted abortion. And Bob Iger of Disney said they will not film in Georgia until this stops. You remember, all of Hollywood did this. All of Hollywood was like, we're not filming in Georgia until all of this stops. However, they are perfectly happy to film in Zhangjiang province and thank the Chinese government in the process. Zhangjiang province is the home of concentration camps holding 1.5 million Muslim Uyghurs. So they're perfectly okay with complete tyranny in China. They're just not okay with people being pro-life in Georgia. This is the hypocrisy, right? The American system is bad. All other systems are not worthy of criticism. It's just America that, that is particularly bad. And the corporate system is willing to reward this because they know they're not going to lose bucks in the United States, but they will lose bucks in China. Really high level stuff here. And it's funny, the critical race theory progenitors 
will suggest that neutral principles like the Declaration of Independence and the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, that these are lies, that really all of human relations are, are power dynamics. Okay? And now you have the corporations basically proving that all of their highfalutin words about racial justice are merely power dynamics that they get to spout when there are no consequences. But as soon as there are consequences, they back off of those full scale. Okay, well, we've reached the end of today's program, but we'll be back here a little bit later today with much, much more, including all of the latest on COVID and COVID controversy and the stopping of, of vaccine development. We'll get to why all of that happened. In the meantime, Try to keep calm out there. Stay calm. All will be well. And we'll see you here a little bit later. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, the Michael Knowles Show, and the Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pava Wydowski. Our associate producer is Nick Sheehan. The show is edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You know, the Matt Walsh Show... It's not just another show about, about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family, faith. Those are fundamental and that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen. Hey, we'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.